0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us, or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, Laura. Laura's one of those people in our community that makes everything work. Those detailed people. You know how you can tell detailed people? I don't know if you ever noticed this. I don't know if any of you noticed this. You always tell detailed people... By their socks. What is that? Have you noticed Laura's socks? Come back up here every second. Best socks in the room. Come here. Where do you see these socks? This is brilliant. You can't wear socks like that and not expect people to talk about them. Look at this here. Talk about attention to detail in an outfit. Come up here. Look at the sparkly socks. You have to come up here. We need, we need, we need. Give the round of applause for the lovely socks. Yes! Woo! <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that tomorrow. Um, I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life Can you remember a time in your life when you completely blew it? Like, where, like, things just didn't work out the way that you really hoped they were going to. Uh, Laura's like, you just did that, Andy, in the beginning of your talk. Um, 2007, I went to visit my then girlfriend's family for the first time. Now, if any of you don't know me, uh, I'm married to Dana, who's an African-American from South Carolina. So... Bringing a white Northern Irish boy home was, you know, an interesting moment for the whole family. And so we, we went and met the family, and uh, Christmas Day we were going to Barnwell, South Carolina, which is uh, middle of nowhere country, South Carolina. But the morning, um, we did all the normal Christmas stuff in the morning, and then we all got ready, and Dana's mum who some of you know, and is one of my favorite people in the world. And that's a true story. My mother-in-law is an absolute hero. But that, that morning was one of the first times we'd actually hung out. And we were getting ready to leave. And it came time for us to get in the car. And Dana's mom came down the stairs, and this is not a joke, in head-to-toe black spandex <laughs> with a hat on. You ever have one of those moments where you're like, I'm not at home? Like I'm not, I'm not even sure I belong here. We hadn't even got where we were going yet. So we jump in the car. I'm thinking this is really interesting situation here. And nobody, you know, there's moments where like you're looking at something, thinking that looks really strange, but nobody else does. You're like, I guess I'm the strange one. So we get in the car and we go to her grandfather's house, middle of the countryside, South Carolina. And um, I'm quite confident I am like the only white person for at least a 20-mile radius. And uh, we go in and we have the food, and I have never seen as much food in my life. I mean, it was just incredible. And we ate and we ate and we ate, and it was loads of fun. And then everyone started to clear the food away into the kitchen, and then people started to clear the tables away. We all had to move, and all the tables went away. And then there was this kind of moment, we're all just sitting around this big, what was where we were sitting, this big kind of empty space. And then, um, out of nowhere, Michael Jackson Thriller (laughs) came on the family sound system really loud. I thought, that's interesting. And then, one of the doors off the living room (laughs) burst open and Dana's mom came out in the outfit, now with white gloves (laughs) and did a full choreographed Dance routine to the whole family to Michael Jackson Thriller, right? Which was hugely entertaining. I've got to admit, right? I'm sitting there going, "This is incredible." But then it happened. The song ended. Another song came on, and the whole family got on what used to be the living room is now a dance floor, and I'm thinking, "Oh no, <laughs> I am about to confirm." every stereotype about white people in their (laughs) mind. So I'm thinking, don't look at anybody. It's a really comfy sofa. I've got a bit more room now. You know, um, whatever you do, don't dance, right? That's what's in my mind. Whatever you do, don't dance. And then this uh, kind of uh, 80s pop line dance came on called the Electric Slide. And they all, you know, formed ranks. And we're about to do the electric slide. I'm thinking, this is working. You know, they don't know me well enough. I don't know them. Everyone's comfortable with me being the typical white dude who's watching them dance. Until Aunt Betty grabbed me and said, come on, baby, let's dance. <laughs> you, you can't say, uh, was that music? I'm not dancing. I'm not doing it. We've been... <laughs> Mikey, you and I have not had a great day, and it's going to get a whole lot worse if music comes on, so, yeah, it's not happening, it's not, I don't even know, I don't even know it, I don't even, is this the electric slide? Oh, no, it's still around, yeah, sorry, sorry, if only you put on electric slide, then don't find it, we've got to talk to get through and some people to baptize, um, So anyway, I start doing this line dance thing, right? And uh, it's not going well, but it's a line dance. And the beauty about a line dance is it's repeated, right? So like you've absolutely ruined the first go and you turn the wrong way and you're like, oh no, everyone's that way, you know. See by the end of it, I was like, I have got this, you know. This has actually not been too bad, you know. Like I think I've escaped with some kind of reputation intact and the song ended and I thought, right, at least I've tried. Hasn't gone too wrong. I I sat down, and Aunt Betty came over and gave me this big kiss on the cheek and said, that's all right, don't worry about it. And I thought, what? (laughs) It was just one of those moments where, like, if the ground could have swallowed up, opened up and swallowed me up, it would have just been a gift from God. I mean, it was probably, I'm not kidding, like, you know, this is the girlfriend's family that you're trying to impress, you know? It was probably one of the most humiliating experiences of my life, where I felt like, if I'd, at least if I'd known, it's really cross with Dana, I was like, did you know that was going to happen? If you knew that was going to happen, and you didn't tell me to at least practice the electric slide, because I would have had that nailed, you know? I felt like I'd completely, and it was all kind of fun, joking and all that kind of stuff, but to be totally honest with you, I felt deep down that I'd kind of missed a moment with her family, and I'd confirmed everything, because maybe if I just jumped onto the dance floor the first time and made a complete idiot of myself, well then at least I would have not tried to avoid it, but I tried to avoid it, and then I didn't avoid it, and then they dragged me up, and then it went bad, and then it was, you know know a thing you do when you really blow it, you like play it over and over and over in your mind. Kind of funny, but I want us to look at a passage of scripture tonight, and I want to look um, just for a couple of minutes at... um, One of my favorite characters in the Bible called Peter, and um, you might think, you know, Peter's this big deal leader in the church, and that's obviously why, Anna, you lead a church, you think Peter's great. That's not really why I relate to Peter. I I relate to Peter in his pre-Acts 2 days, for any of you who know scriptures. Um, Peter, through most of the Gospels, is just this (laughs) repetitive kind of making a mess of things kind of guy. And if I'm being completely honest with you, which I'm going to try to be, I relate to that. I relate to good intentions and not great outcomes. I don't know about you, but that's been some of the story of my life. Good intentions, but less than great outcomes. And there's this amazing moment in John 21, after Peter's had probably the most colossal blow-it moments of his life, where Jesus gets arrested and everything goes sideways. Like everything that they thought was going to happen falls apart right in front of their eyes. And then in the midst of all of that, in the moment of greatest testing, Peter has his greatest blow up moment. It's in the context where He's the guy that's like, we're going to do this. We are with you. And then when the exam comes, he royally feels it to the point that he cannot even publicly associate himself with Jesus. Three times he gets asked this question after Jesus is arrested. You're one of those guys that was with him, right? And he's like, me? No, definitely not. I don't know who that man is. And the really tragic bit, if you know the story, is that Jesus told Peter that this was going to happen. He's like, Peter, don't get ahead of yourself. When the chips are down, you're going to abandon me too. And Peter's like, no way am I going to do that. And then three times he gets asked, you were with Jesus, right? And he goes, no way, not me. And the third time he hears the rooster crow and he goes, oh no, I've blown it. I've completely, I've completely blown it. Jesus has been resurrected and he started appearing to the disciples. This is John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood in the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This passage is, I find, just so profound in so many ways. But I think it's really interesting. This is the third moment that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. It's the third moment it since he's been resurrected that he comes. So he's appeared to them before, twice. And it says at the start, verse three, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. It's really interesting, I think, whenever we really blow it, particularly with God, usually we run to what we know, don't we? We want to throw ourselves back into what's familiar. It's like, you know, there's this whole resurrection. Jesus is appearing. He's restoring the story. He's helping them understand all kinds of things. And you can sense almost this in Peter's, like, I'm going to fish, that He wants to get ahead of the rejection that he thinks is coming, right? Like, you know, if if you were going to create a list of things that would be important for those that were going to be on the Jesus team post-resurrection, I wonder what would be on your list. Well, being able to associate yourself publicly with Jesus would be pretty central, right? So you get this idea that Peter's like, I'm not sure I can keep waiting, for Jesus to say, you blew it. I'm sorry, I need someone else. And so he says, I, I'm, I'm going to fish. This is where this all started for me. And I've made a total mess and I'm going back there. I wonder how many times in your life when you blow it, do you just run to something that's familiar? And you do what we've always been doing since the beginning of time when we blow it. We, we think it's amazing. We think we can hide from God. We think we can just, if I just throw myself into my work, if I just stay busy, I'll not remember the things that Aunt Betty said and how bad I looked. If I I just throw myself into work, if I can just stay busy, then that sense of shame or failure, that sense of embarrassment, that sense of I've let everybody down, well, if I can just, I'll just ignore that and, and just try to get busy and stay with something familiar, get into ground that I know. For Peter, that was fishing. Professional fisherman, he's like, I'm I'm going back. I'm going back to fish. Here's what I love about the hiding place. And we all do it, the different places that we hide. It's always in the hiding place that God shows up. Isn't that beautiful? I love that it's in the hiding place. He he doesn't go, you know, I'm going to wait in church for you when you finally get your act together and you come back. It's not like, you know, you have that prayer chair that you're now avoiding in your house I'll be standing by it. And when you find yourself ready to come talk to me again, then I'll show up. No, God always comes to the hiding place and it's in the hiding place. Whilst Peter is on the boat early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Ever have a moment where you're so close to God, you just don't know that it's him? The hiding place is full of that. Where God comes and we don't recognize him. They didn't know it was him. And then he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. There is something so beautiful in the hiding place when you realize that God's come for you there. And Peter's response is impulsive. He's like, I don't even care about the boat or the fish. And he grabs his coat and he dives in the water and he swims for the shore. God, you would come for me even while I'm hiding from you. It's beautiful. And then Jesus says, bring some fish. Bring some of what you've toiled for bring it over, let's have some breakfast. Sometimes I I love how normal God is and that can seem so obscure. Oftentimes we think of God as this lofty deity that is so different from us. And don't get me wrong, there's lots very different. And yet there is a humanity to God or an image of him that's found in us. Where he's like, you've been working all night. Come and have some breakfast. Like you imagine, like, you know, God, like, is showing up to restore the destiny of one of his kids. That's what this is actually all about. And it begins with breakfast. I love that. You're tired. You're weary. Bring some of your fish. Let's have some food. It's like even God has his priorities right breakfast then destiny it's beautiful when they had finished eating so good finish your breakfast and then we'll talk when they had finished eating Jesus says to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these I, I find the questions that God asks they're the most hard to answer Because usually they're very simple questions and you often know it's God talking if it's a question. Do you love me more than these? And it pierces right, right to his heart. Peter, do you love me? I mean, this is the same guy just days previous could not publicly associate himself with Jesus. Me, with him? I don't even know that guy. And Jesus is now standing right in front of him Eyeball to eyeball, do you love me? Like, if if you're Peter, you're like, I want to say yes, but all of that said no. How do I get this right? What what do you want? What's the right answer here? Like, I, I want to love you, but I failed, but you're here, and that was good breakfast. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, Feed my lambs. You know that I love you. Okay, I have work for you to do. It's beautiful. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I love that he calls him his whole name. What's happening in that moment is Jesus is saying to Peter, I know exactly who you are and I know where you've come from. Don't kid with me that I don't know that you blew this royally. I know exactly who you are. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Three times Peter says, I don't even know that guy. And three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? One of the things about the moments when we blow it, right, is we um, we don't ever want to talk about it again, unless you're making fun of yourself in front of a group of people. We try to avoid it, particularly with God. Like, when you really blow it, you don't want to have that conversation. Forgive me, let's move on. Off we go. One of the really things I find interesting about God in the hiding place is when he comes to and finds us in the hiding place he usually wants to talk about what made us go to the hiding place can we can we talk about that thing that happened over there and you're like no <laughs> rather not can we just move on this is a moment of profound intimacy and awkwardness as Jesus speaks directly to Peter's failure. Three times you denied me. Three times I'm going to ask you, do you love me? Three times I'm going to push in. And I wonder how many times in our lives is God trying to restore us, but it's so uncomfortable that we're not able to engage in the conversation. He wants to talk about the moments and the times, we've blown it. Not so that he can say, aha, you great big failure. Why did you ever think that you could be a part of this in me? But so that he can say, I love you and I forgive you and I want to put you back to work in my kingdom. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter ends up going, you know all things. I want to say that I do but you know everything and Jesus restores him. One of the things that I love about God and I love about Jesus is that he's all about new beginnings, especially when we've blown up, especially when we have made a royal mess of things and even when we run away and try to hide, he shows up and says, can we talk about that thing? And he doesn't meet us with judgment. He doesn't meet us with anger. And he doesn't meet us with punishment. But he meets us with an invitation to restoration. To be restored into relationship with him and the very thing that he created you for here on earth. I wonder tonight how many of you find yourself in a hiding kind of place where you know that you've maybe done something or something's happened in your life and if you're honest, you maybe ever talk about this, but you live with a constant sense of shame or that you just missed it or that you blew it. And everything in you is just trying to avoid even thinking or contemplating about that. But God's going, do you want some breakfast? Can we talk about that thing? What if I could say that you still have a part to play in the thing that I created you for? What if your destiny is not blown? What if you haven't disqualified yourself? But what if I could look you in the eyes and say you're restored and will you walk with me in that thing again? Baptism, this is a bit I've got to do some gymnastics to try to connect what it felt like the Lord wanted me to say to what we're about to do. This is a beautiful metaphor of a new beginning. And I'm going to be careful with the talk I've just given because I'm not saying that this is true with the people that we're going to baptize. They all blew it and this is their new beginning. (laughs) Um, But this... Uh, symbolic water grave is really uh, all about a demonstration of new beginning that every single person you're about to hear from tonight has had a moment where they've said I am surrendering everything I have to Jesus and he has made me new and I want to follow him for the rest of my life And those of you that are about to get baptized, this is really, really important. I know that tonight is such a special moment and such a special night, but here's what you need to understand. In your future, you will blow it. And you'll want to hide. And you'll want to run away. And you'll want to think that you've disqualified yourself. And here's what I want you to know, because I would love to say, don't hide. Just walk with God, but seems to be part of the human condition that we can't help ourselves here's what i want you to know when you hide god will come find you and he will call you back to himself and all you need to say is yes lord i'm coming i'm gonna pray for us i'm gonna hand over to sparkly socks herself (laughs) and um and we'll keep going let's pray Holy Spirit, thank you that you're among us and that you're here. And I pray right now for those of us in this room who are hiding, that they would hear your voice right now. Father, I pray for those of us in our city and in this region that are hiding from you. This week they'd hear your voice. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that comes and finds us when we're lost and when we're broken and restores us back to you and back to the destiny that you've written over our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now and do that again among us. In Jesus' name I pray.